Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Oregon Trappers Association podcast. The Oregon Trappers Association strives to combine heritage and tradition with today's need to manage, control, and conserve Oregon's wildlife resources. This podcast and other projects through the Oregon Trappers Association is made possible by our sponsors. So a big shout out and thank you to Idaho Trappers Association, Max Traps and Trapping Supplies, the National Trappers Association and their Best Management Practices Project, the Fur Takers of America, Oregon Territorial Council on Furs, Nitem's Ace Hardware in John Day, Oregon, and to all of our OTA members. On August 26th through the 28th, we're going to be holding our 50-year annual rendezvous. That's going to be at Waldo Lake at the Shadow Bay Campground off of Oregon Highway 58 between Bend and Eugene. If you're interested in trapping at all or you want to see what OTA is about, come on up there. Even if it's just for the day, we're going to have some demos. We're going to have an auction and just different events that everybody is welcome to join in on. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. If you're looking to improve your uh, trap setting and different ways to set traps or catch animals, I highly suggest that you come down to E.E. Wilson Wildlife Area on September 10th between 9 and 3. We're going to have a trapping school. There's going to be a lot of demos. It's pretty fun. You learn a lot. I'd highly recommend that you check that out if you're wanting to get into trapping or learning about trapping. If you have questions on either one of those events, you can call Don Nichols Jr. at 503-757-7704, or you can write us here at the podcast at organtrapperpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Anyhow, let's get into this week's show. Hi, everybody. This week, we're sitting down with Mac Hankins of Max Traps and Trapping Supplies. Mac, how are you doing? Andrew, I'm doing good. I'm I'm doing really good. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Looking looking forward to this. Well, I'm glad to have you on, Mac. You're one of our sponsors. Um, you you do a good job with uh, you know making sure people got all the stuff they need. And I've uh, been hearing you're one heck of a guy, so I wanted to get you on the show and kind of pick your brain and see what kind of information you can give us in the trapping world here. Well, that sounds good. Let's let's do it. All righty. Well, uh, why don't you start off, Mac? You know, kind of give me some, uh, me and the listeners, some background information on uh, how you got started into trapping. You know. Okay. Um. I uh. It was it was basically a family uh, envy of mine. I had some some uncles that trapped, and my mom's cousins trapped. Um. My one cousin in particular trapped a lot actually for oh about 10 years i think he said he was pretty pretty solid running a big long line with another friend of his after they both retired and uh i always remember looking at his his enormous i mean we're i'm talking way way more than probably what i have even a new stock now of you know old victors and some some sterlings and uh just a just a tremendous amount of traps most of it was land trapping and uh, i i kind of got him started again and uh he's he's kind of the one that took me under his wing and that's that's kind of where i started basically um mostly mostly land trapping stuff we did do a little bit of beaver 
um, but but very little just because of the area I was in. You know, we don't don't have a whole lot of water over there in uh, Eastern Oregon, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got started in it. Just just sheer interest and uh, being being an impressed little kid with his monster pile of traps that he had in the shed. Okay, so it's been a family deal, and they just you know slowly brought you into it. Got to know the ropes and took off with it, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, my uh, my my uncle wasn't didn't have quite as much time to do it as much, but uh, he he's kind of the one that uh, somewhat got me started at the very beginning, and then of course work and other things kind of took him away from it. But my uh, my mom's cousin that was retired uh, obviously had more time, and so we started started a little line when when I was just out, or, you know, just in high school. Um, and then I did some of my own line at my, the place that I was living at over there in Fossil and just, just kind of took off from there and it's been in my blood ever since. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so Mac, you're, uh, so you grew up in Eastern Oregon, you started learning how to trap. Uh, it sounds like you primarily started with, uh, you know, land animals, I'm going to assume, you know, like bobcats, coyotes, badgers, the things that are around fossil. Yep. Yeah. Um, like I said, the majority of it was mostly bobcats and coyotes. The badger thing actually, uh, kind of came from a landlord that I, I lived at a place out of town there for a little while. And he had some hay fields. And of course with the hay fields over in that country, you get a bunch of those ground squirrels. And with ground squirrels around, you get a whole bunch of badgers. Well, every farmer on the planet hates badgers to no end because who wants to drive their expensive equipment through a badger hole while they're making hay or, you know, driving your pickup, picking hay up or whatever it is. So they they kind of have this hate relationship towards them. And I, I started trapping those things. And that's, that's actually probably one of my most favorite animals to catch just because at times they can be unbelievably difficult um and the reason i say that it's not i don't necessarily think they're overly smart compared to any other animal but they're so motivated in digging up those squirrel huts or homes whatever you want to call them that you may have two dozen traps in one field and he just makes a new hole so that's basically kind of how i figured out how to trap those things if they dug a hole i put a trap in it um there was a time where i had uh, touch over 40 traps in this 25 acre field because he just kept digging and he'd dig a hole and i'd put a trap in it we just kind of played that game for about a week and i finally ended up catching him but it, it took a long time and i enjoyed the challenge of it i guess well yeah there's nothing you know i get excited about it too when you have an animal that you're almost competing with um that's you know a smart coyote or a badger or something that walks by your set and doesn't commit to it and then you're oh crap how can i get him to to actually commit so you're change you change something up or you throw some extra traps out and then the next week you you're checking your traps and you see you missed him again finally maybe then the third week you catch him and it's it's an interesting you know kind of cat and mouse game if you will yeah absolutely it's it's definitely a cat and mouse game and it's it's a uh... It can be very irritating. I've, I've had a couple of those animals that just drive you nuts. You throw every trick at the book, you know, talk to people. Hey, I can't catch this thing. What do I need to do? This is what I've been doing. Is there something? There's, is there anything <laughs> that you can 
help me catch this coyote or badger or bobcat or whatever it is because it's just walking circles around me and I, I can't make it happen. And, and the, the badger thing I actually learned from our, our county trapper. He said, uh, well, if he's, he just keeps digging, you just keep putting iron or keep putting iron out. Um, he said, just, just keep planting iron and eventually he's going to mess up and you're going to have him. And he, he was right. I mean, it, it took me you know, just, just close to three weeks, but um, that, that cat and mouse game is, is kind of fun. You know, it's like, all right, well, that didn't work. I can, maybe I'll try this, that, or you know, change it up a little bit. So if he comes out of that hole and sees something different, maybe that'll intrigue him to, you know, commit a hundred percent rather than part way. Mm-hmm. Now, were you, were you just basically putting them in front of the hole or were you trying to entice them with like some bait and lure? I, I did both. Um, I, I personally haven't had a whole lot of success with bait. Um, lure, I always use at a badger set, but bait really never did do a whole lot for me when it came to badgers. Um, I, I, I pretty much sat within two feet of the hole, um, whether that it was on the mound that I'd kind of knock down a little bit or if I'd make a little step down. But when he did come up and out of the hole, you know, he would hopefully want to walk over that trap um but 90 percent of the time um it was it was always a you know right right within that two feet mark and my bait thing the biggest problem with that i found because uh, of course i was always in hay fields there's no cover whatsoever um let's you know not getting too much stink because then you got to deal with magpies and crows and all that other stuff mm-hmm. um and I, I just kind of gave up on the bait, just went to a little curiosity lure. Um, my One of my secrets, I wouldn't even call it a secret, something I kind of stumbled upon in this badger escapade. Uh, those little nails that uh, contractors use that have that pink uh, plastic that kind of sticks up so they can mark stuff. You know, whether it's for concrete or sod work or something of that nature. Right. They're, you know, they're pretty good sized nail, about six inches long. I actually started sticking those out there. And I think that was purely uh, a curiosity thing that's, you know, something that they've never seen before. And I I almost religiously use them now if I'm trapping badgers. Just just uh, some sort of flagging, I guess. Any, any kind of flagging, I think, would be a, a good thing. They seem to be interested in why there's some pink thing sticking out in front of their house and they just they i don't think they can help but go try and figure out what it is so right it's kind of like the kind of like a white golf ball on top of a dog proof coon trap you know you put it on there not only just to keep the the bait inside dry but it kind of gives some eye appeal you know that nice white um golf ball sticks out among the forest floor and they kind of, Hey, what is this? You know, so that, yep. that's a, uh, that's interesting, you know, just a little bit of contractor flagging basically. And on a, nail. yeah. Yeah. On a nail, you know, it's a, uh, I, I would compare it to like a, a stiff broom bristle. I don't know. It's probably four inches long or something. I have no idea what they're called. I actually picked them up from a contractor buddy of mine and, um, I've, I've had the same ones for years, you know, they're getting a little faded now, but I, I still keep using them, but, you know, but it's, it's worked for me. I'm sure a guy could even just take a piece of, you know, tape flagging and put it on a stick or something and stick it out there. But, uh, it's, it's, it's always treated me pretty well. So I've kind of stuck with it. And I, that's, that's something that I've, I've 
kind of, I don't know how many conversations with tons of customers, you know, they ask me, you know, how do I catch a bobcat that I can't catch or, you know, coyote or raccoon or whatever it is. And it's like, what have you been doing? And what's worked for you in the past? And the thing I find interesting is that more people will change what has worked for them day in and day out for years trying to catch one animal where if they would kind of stick to their, you know, meat and potatoes, you could say, um, of their, their usual program, if they would just stick with it a little more and make small changes rather than big changes, it seems to be um, more more helpful to me anyways. You know, I, I try not to get real carried away with completely changing my program. I'll just make small adjustments at different sets and, and kind of stick with what works for me. I'm not saying that works for everybody, but mm-hmm. whatever whatever works for you is what you need to, to do. And, you know, there is times where you got to, got to pull a trick out of the hat or talk to a friend or whatever but most of the time whatever whatever you have made work in the past will work for the future you just have to make some small adjustments to it right no and it i feel that when you find a method that works for you you should definitely stick to it i don't do you know daniel jacobson there in Legrand? Yeah, yeah, I do actually. Very nice guy. Very nice guy. He came on the show oh, a couple months ago. He is a coyote catching fool, and he tells me he makes the same set for every every trap. Basically, I mean, he's got the same basic method, and he's running you know hundreds of traps at a time, and and doing them doing them all in a forty eight hour trap check. And I think. For one, it helps with your efficiency. Two, once you get that thing buckled down, you know it's gonna work. And it, it, yep, you're you're 100 correct. You know, and that I think that's the biggest thing I can I can ever take from somebody is yeah, everybody you know sets differently. Some people like dirt holes. Some people like step down. Some people like uh, cubbies for bobcats, for instance, as opposed to walkthroughs. And they're all the same general idea, but whatever works for you, use it and roll with it. Yep, absolutely. And and something that kind of really hit home with me here a, a few weeks ago, I went to Idaho Falls to the uh, convention down there for um, Snake River Trappers, Idaho Trappers Association and uh intermountain fur and i went out to uh kendall obner's uh demo and he is he's the same way he sets the same set whether it's a coyote whether it's a bobcat whether it's foxes whether it's you know i mean he's got a few variations but 90 percent of his sets are the exact same thing time after time after time and you can tell that's what he sticks with because a he puts one in in a matter of minutes and it's awesome and they're they're identical i've i've seen several videos of him putting on demos before and his his demos are the same every time you know of course the the wording changes and the talks get different questions and things like that but what he does at that demo he is he's a robot he's very robotic he you know the same process, the same program. And he said at the end of that demo, he said, I challenge 
somebody if they want to use this set here it's kind of a i would call it a step down dirt hole really um, it's it's actually a pretty big holy digs um i'm going to try it this year just because i'm interested in it but he said i challenge you if you're going to run this set to find a spot in your backyard or somewhere where you can do some digging and some reasonable material and just go make this set for 10 15 minutes a day every day go out there hammer that set out put it in cover it up make it look nice you know do do your touches on it whatever and just do that for 10 minutes a day right you know that's all you got to do just go out there and practice and he said within two weeks you won't even you won't think about it you won't there will be no questions you know you will you will turn yourself into that robot that you want to be you know for that situation of just continuously hammering out a, a quality set basically is what he was getting at and i am i have yet to do it <laughs> i'm guilty of, of not doing my 10 minutes here currently but a little closer to season i'm gonna start and just just to see and you know kind of get some practice in and challenge challenge yourself a little bit to be quicker and more efficient at it you know that's that's always a big thing with trapping is we got to get our gear out. We got to make it good. We got to bed traps, use our wax dirt ahead of time rather than, oh, I can wait another couple of weeks and you get some bad weather and your whole line freezes up and you're all bummed out. You got to go fix that or, you know, stuff gets dug up because you didn't bed it good enough. All those little problems that can come from, you know, possibly not, not putting in a good set when you're, you're perfectly capable of doing so. But mm-hmm. no, absolutely. No, that, um, that's pretty key. I think if you, you know, personally, if you go out with me and I am, I'm setting bobcat traps, every one of my cubbies is almost identical. Um, I don't try and vary from it. I know I, there's, there's little things you got to change, you know, maybe how big the cubby is because of the terrain you're working in, you know, you only have trees that are so close together, this, that, or the other, but I'd say 95% of my sets are all cubbies all the same i think that's the like we were discussing that's kind of the way to go um and personally i like to reuse sets i think once you know it works once then it's going to work the next year too oh absolutely there's there's lots of trappers um i do it a little but i can't do it too much just because of um, cattle and trap theft and other things there's there's plenty of people that hardly pull their gear or you know they'll leave a stake and then all they have to do is bring a trap back or whatever the case may be and continue to use that spot because it's produced a b then you've caught an animal in there so now it's it's basically scented for you because there's already been some traffic in there and you know, there there is times where stuff gets tore up bad, or you know, cows move in, or whatever, and can can wreck your set. But there's there's plenty of places that I go to every single year, um, and especially at home, that I I would just leave my stake, or even you know, drags and things like that there, and just take my trap home and clean it up. And then next season, all I got to do is go pound that thing in, and I'm ready to go. I mean, it, it saves time and it's it's productive. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Mac, why don't you, we just got kind of talking about badgers and whatnot. What kind of sets do you use for bobcats and coyotes primarily? 
Um, I would I would say my go to ninety percent of the time is either a blind set or a dirt hole. I I keep it real simple, real basic. Um, I'm I'm pretty partial to my dirt holes, and the only reason I say blind sets is I do have some some good spots that are you know halfway what I would consider to be heavy travel areas or, you know, I know they're going to come through roughly this time of year or something um, that I will throw a few blind sets in. I do run a little bit of snares. I don't run a whole lot just because of the deer in my particular area. Um, there's so many of them and I don't want to catch deer uh, that you know, I, I do run some snares, but I, I'm not a huge snare guy. I ran a lot more snares at home and Oregon because we had a lot of sheep wire fence, woven wire fence, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's that's money with coyotes because there's there's always a hole somewhere and they get to using that hole. Well, come cabin season or trapping season or weather changes or whatever, a guy could go hang, you know, fifty snares and really put the herd on some coyotes because they're they're coming into that particular spot for, you know, calves or deer or whatever it was. That it didn't worry me so much with the woven wire fence, but where I don't have as much woven wire over here, I, I get pretty pretty nervous about hanging snares. Right, and you're in Idaho now, right? Yeah, yeah, Cottonwood, Idaho. Okay. It's a uh, kind of kind of the middle of the state. You know, Clarkston, Washington's about an hour away from me, um, right next to the Snake River there. But up here on the the prairie. Um, it's a lot of different terrain. We have you know, great big ponderosa pine draws. We have rose bushes and thorn bushes and a tremendous amount of fields. I mean, it, there's a lot of farm ground up here, uh, which is good. There's there's lots of lots of trapping uh, opportunities in that because we have a, what I would consider to be a pretty high coyote population over here. Really, mm -hmm. um, when it's when it's breeding season. And the snow's getting deep. Um, there's times where we've kind of, we call it going around the block, make a trip up here, just driving. Because uh, there's some, some farmers and ranchers that'll let us do some coyote calling and whatnot. Uh, and there's been days where I've seen 30 coyotes. I've shot all 30 of them because they're in the wrong spot or they're too far, or, you know, running to beat hell or whatever it is. But uh, there's there's been some 30 plus days and that's, that's before you even get out of the pickup, so. I, I would consider us to have a, a fairly high coyote population because of the, the farm ground. You know, when you got farm ground, you have lots of mice, you have moles, you have all that stuff that they can, they can feed on all the time. And, and some farmers are all about letting you shoot coyotes. And then the next farmer thinks that he's, that coyote's going to eat all the mice and gophers. So he doesn't want you shooting the coyotes. So it's kind of a, kind of an interesting uh, program up here. No, and I, I ran into that a little bit when I uh, lived in John Day. You know, we got quite a few coyotes down there, big big kind of valley with lots of ag land, and it was it was all good. You know, a lot of farmers like the coyotes because they'd eat the ground squirrels, sage rats, whatever you want to call them. Um, but then when it came to calving season, it was a different story. When they <laughs> When they started coming into the field and they started seeing dead calves, they uh it was hey yeah we'd like you to come out here and catch a bunch of these or shoot them and do whatever and you know i often say that coyotes would be a great animal to keep around if they were just after mice and 
and gophers and ground squirrels. But the unfortunate part is they go after deer fawns, uh, cow calves, and um, the baby sheep. You know, they're yeah. they're pretty uh, pretty much terrorize any major livestock that you got. And yeah, and and especially in the the heavily ag country, I would. I would guess you would call it that, you know, lots of farmers, lots of ranches, lots of little ranches and farms and, you know, goats and sheep and cattle and chickens. And there's a, a pheasant farm, you know, 20 minutes away from me. Um, there, there's an ample amount of food that can be had if there's, you know, if they can get away with it. So there's that you're absolutely a hundred percent correct. There's, there's people that are all about getting rid of them. And then there's the ones that aren't. And then there's the ones that will kind of do that backflip when, like you said, cabin season or landing season or whatever it may be. Um, they're like, hey, you come out here and just do whatever you need to do. I've lost a few babies and, you know, can't be having that. I mean, that's that's their money for the year. So mm-hmm. um, that's their livelihood. And, you know, the, the gates kind of get open. And the other thing that I always try and mention to especially young trappers that are starting out or somebody that's just starting out in general, they don't have to be young, um, is if you can make those relationships with these private landowners that, hey, I'll come in and take care of whatever problem it is. It doesn't matter if it's muskrats or beavers or coyotes or bobcats or whatever it may be, or even ground squirrels in some cases, um, that, that relationship could build into well, hey, since you, you've been helping me out with these coyotes, why don't you uh, come ahead and bring your kid or your cousin or yourself or whoever out here and shoot a deer this year? You know, that, that relationship can lead to other outdoor activities. Or, hey, you guys can come out here and go fishing at the pond or at the river, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But uh, there's, there's a lot of bonuses to helping out these private landowners aside from helping them to, to keep food on their table and not, not be losing you know, product, whatever it may be in that case. No, absolutely. And that's, that's how I get, I hope any trapper when he goes out um, to help a landowner, I hope those are the kind of relationships they're building. Cause that's what we need. We need the, the farmers and the ranchers and the homeowners to be on our side for everything, especially in this, this new world where everybody wants to, you know, do away with trapping or the big cities do. They don't have a, a clue what it what it does for the environment and how much it helps and how overrun we'd be with predators if we didn't trap, but they want to get rid of it. Well, the thing that saves us is that homeowner that had all of her chickens decimated or a whole bunch of uh, baby steers eaten or something like that. And they're more more you go out and you do a good job and you get rid of them and they're more than willing to say yep we'll support you guys 100 percent because without you we're we're going to go bankrupt yep yep that's that's right and you know it's it's not only building that you know now could turn into a really good friendship you know i've, I've made some really good friends doing you know even just some small trapping jobs around here but that that friendship's turned into um hey you know if there's there's anything i can ever do or if i need to you know make a phone call or send an email or whatever it may be i'm not saying they're all that way but there's there's people that offer that kind of help to 
to promote what you guys do and, you know, show that it, it does matter. It matters to me that you can come out here and help me take care of my problem versus not being a, being able to trap. You don't have the tools. You know, now we can only hunt. You know, there's, there's lots of, lots of snowball effect involved with that to where if, if we lose that tool, um, it's, it's hard on everybody. I mean, we, we lose something we like, you know, there is some money to be made there. Um, the ranchers have issues with depredations and other problems or, you know, is something as simple as the ground squirrel thing. And we'll, we'll get to that later on. I won't completely sideline you, but, um, it's, it's pretty interesting to see the difference if you continuously keep after a problem like that and pretty soon the, the problem's really not an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Building good working relationships with landowners is, and with anybody is important and it can be beneficial for you, beneficial for them and beneficial for the whole trapping community as a whole. So. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, it, it even goes further. It doesn't have to be a landowner. Um, I have a, a good friend that's in charge of the BLM over here. Uh, it, and there's there's times where they I wouldn't necessarily say I've been asked to do anything like that, but I know Rusty Kramer does some trapping for uh, fishing game and a couple other outfits uh, directly related to um, irrigation problems. And he'll he'll live trap beavers and then transplant them to somewhere where the beaver population is not doing good, or they want to reintroduce them back in this stream or this river, whatever the case may be. Um, to build those relationships, especially with your government agencies, whether it's the Forest Service, the BLM, Fish and Game, um, that's that's huge also because then then they can see too firsthand that hey, this is a, a good program. We can we can reintroduce a species that's been gone in this area because of whatever development or predation or something of that nature. Um, it's, it's important to have, have that working relationship with anybody, no matter who it is. No, absolutely. Especially those government agencies, cause they're the people that regulate us and they, you know, showing them that we do a good job is quite important. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mac, before we get into the ground squirrels, like you mentioned, uh, what's your guys' kind of bobcat population where you're at? You know, the bobcat population here, um, from what I've seen, and I haven't had a whole lot of time to really, you know, get after bobcats as much as I'd like to, um, just because the business has kind of consumed some of my trapping time. I hope to fix that this year a little bit and be a little better prepared. Um, I would say it's pretty good. I'm not going to say it's outstanding. I'm not going to say that you could go throw 25 traps out and you're going to have five cats in there in the first week. I mean, we don't have a tremendous population, but I would say overall our population is pretty, pretty fair. Um, because of the, the terrain we have around here, it's so, it varies so incredibly much in a short distance. Um, there's some places that I drive by all the time. It's like, man, there should be some bobcats down here. And I'm sure there is in some of them and some of them, they're just not there because of food supply. Um, I'm, I'm right close to the salmon river. I can, I could be at the salmon river in 15 minutes. So I have, I have river country, you know, steep, dirty, nasty, rocky, you know, kind of dry, more like what I'm used to high desert kind of stuff. 
And then there's other places where, uh, you know, there's a really good creek coming down a big, big canyon or draw that uh, is full of blackberries and rose brush and that kind of stuff. And I, I know there's cats down there. Um, and I know there's a lot of cats out in the timber around here, but uh, the other difference we have compared to over in Oregon, I would say, is we have a tremendous um, hound hunting group. And I'm I'm not picking on them at all, but um, I, I love hound hunters. I think they do a lot of good things. But I think they take a pretty sizable amount of the bobcat population. And I'm not saying it's too much or not enough, but they, they do they do pretty well with them at times. I'm not going to say every year and, you know, each region varies, but, uh, I would say overall, I, I would, I would say we have a pretty, pretty good bob, bobcat population. Right. Right. No, that's, and that's, you know, again, going to what we were talking about building relationships and whatnot, you know, trappers and, and hound hunters are just literally one different tool away, if you will. Uh, the the hound hunters are putting their time and their effort into training their dogs and and getting their dogs to do what they're trained to do, and that is tree a bobcat. Where trappers are putting their time into um, building sets, finding locations, getting that animal to come in and commit to your set. And I think. You know, I, I think there's always been a little bit of tension between hound hunters and trappers in, in some instances because of we're both after the same same species. There's the there is a potential for their dog to get caught. Um, but I think as a whole, trappers and hound hunters really need to band together because they get rid of one, they're gonna go after the other. And we're we're out with the same goal, you know. Yep. Yep. And, and you'll see that over here in particular, um, the Idaho houndsmen are at almost every first sale that we have down at Glens Ferry. And they're, they're members of our committee. Um, we're members of their committee when, when it comes time for rule changes or season changes or limits or any of that stuff, they're, they're hand in hand. Um, like you said, it's, it's a different tool, but they're both after the same animal at times, you know, obviously hound guys don't care about coyotes near as much as they do bobcats, but, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting relationship that I think has evolved a lot here in the past, well, I'm going to say 10 years, um, where they're, they're no longer foe and they're now friends. Um, even though there is those differences and those, uh, possible conflict issues, um, when it comes to dogs getting caught. Uh, that that now they they see eye to eye more, and there's there's good relationships with lots of trappers and lots of houndsmen in in my area, and particularly, um, there's there's actually some trappers that have their own hounds too. So that that also helps when you can get, you know, the same guy playing both sides, and it's like, hey, I like trapping, but I have hounds. This is what I do here. You know, they they communicate with some, most of the other guys. It's like, hey, I have traps down in there. Just want to let you know, you know, if there's there's a time in particular where you really want to hit that or something with your dogs, I'll I'll go in there and trip my gear for a, a couple weeks or something if that's what you're gonna do. I I don't want to catch your dog, you know. It's it's more of a um I I would call it playing nice now versus a, a competition, um, and that's that's good to see because we need all the help we can get. 
Right. And, you know, I think that's important being able to work together because it, uh, and obviously, you know, there, there's places where you can trap, but you can't run hounds. You know, you're, you're not going to run hounds in a, a steep river canyon that, you know, is almost vertical with just a few spots going down here and there, but you might be able to set a trap there. You know, you're generally, I would say a lot of guys, well, at least a lot of guys in my area that I know, they don't run their hounds super close to the road. You know, if there's going to be a whole bunch of major roads, say, you know, highways and stuff like that, they're going to be up in in the forest, in the hills, staying away because they don't want their dogs to run out in front of a car chasing a bobcat or something. And and so you you can you can work together. And you can both have your kind of free space where you can run dogs and you can trap. But there is those times where you go, hey, by the way, I do have some traps in this area. You know, you might you might consider uh, watching for them with your hounds or would would you mind just going over this way and pursuing them? However, it works out being willing to to work together is is important. And I think every outdoorsman needs to work together because we're all, again, have the same goal. We want to go out in the woods. We want to have fun, uh, pursue an animal or, or do whatever and enjoy it. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's where the, the communication is so huge, you know, especially with the hound guys. It's like, Hey, I got, I got 50 snares down on that draw. I really don't want you to call me and say, Hey, my dog just got hung up in your snare and he's, he's no longer with us. You know, that's, that's something that's so easily avoidable with some simple communication of, Hey, I'm in here right now. In two weeks, I may be, I'm going to be out of here. So if you, you want to run after that, cool. If not fine. Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of, lot of room to, to work with each other on that stuff. And it's so important to keep, keep that relationship with the hound guys because um, there's lots of hound guys that are trappers and there's lots of trappers that are hound guys you know there's they, they kind of work hand in hand mm-hmm. um, and to make sure that those those issues never even become an issue um, it just makes everything go better and and things just work better there's there's no doubt about that so i, I do like to see that and i think we're going to see more of it um, with our, our hounds our houndsmen and trappers are going to be more united you know across the board because we we all have to stick together to keep keep doing what we like doing whether it's trapping or hounds or both i mean right and to quote uh stan Steele, we're all part we're all a brick in the same wall you know i hope i didn't butcher that stan so just to just a <laughs> shout out to stan on that one because yeah. he, he typically says something to the effect that we are all a brick in the same wall and if one brick dissolves they're going to go after the next brick and so working together is extremely important it is it is and he stan nailed it right on the head um a a wall that's full of bricks is always going to be stronger and last longer and be there forever compared to a a brick wall that has 10 bricks in it there's there's no doubt about that and it doesn't matter whether it's fishing hunting trapping cattlemen's association uh livestock i mean on and on and on and on we all we all have to do our part to try and bring another brick to the wall because the more bricks you have the better off everybody's going to be at the end of the day whether that's uh, bird hunters that's waterfowl that's 
um, farmers, I mean, ranchers, on and on. And you just you have to involve absolutely everybody that you can to to maintain the same cause at the end of the day. This is what I like to do or this is my livelihood. And I, I plan on keeping that. And together we can do that. You know, it's a, it's a we thing and there's no more me there's no more i it's it's all it's all us it's a we it's a group effort absolutely couldn't have said it better so mac i guess let's uh let's go into how did trapping go from something you started just doing with your family to kind of making a career and we mentioned the adc work for squirrels and then uh you know you're a trapping supply dealer. So let, let's get into that a little bit. Okay. Um, the, the evolution of that is, is really simple and kind of boring, but I, I chuckle at it now because we're just, just a little over a year with the, the business. Um, a friend of mine, actually a coworker, uh, has a, has some hay ground that the ground squirrels were just ruining. I mean, his, his production went down almost 50% because there were so many ground squirrels there. Um, and he asked me, he said, how do you get rid of those things? Because in this particular location, they don't like to shoot them because there's too many buildings and too many people around. And it's, it's kind of a conflict of interest to shoot them. Um, and they've tried poison and they've tried everything else. And it never really seemed to amount to anything. And the problem, it just got worse. Um, I said, well, we can try trapping them. I never trapped a ground squirrel before. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. So. I got on F and T and I ordered four dozen 110 Duke Conibear traps. And I thought, I oh, will just see what those do. <clears throat> Give it a whirl. And, uh, they, they work pretty good, but, uh, kind of back sidelining a little bit. The thing that kind of started the light bulb with the business was the shipping on those traps from F and T to get them over here because of course, you know, one tens aren't a big high dollar item. So I didn't make their, their standard quota to get my flat rate to get them over here or whatever that was. I can't remember exactly. Um, the shipping was about two thirds of the cost of the product, you know, cause one tens were pretty cheap at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I told him, I thought, man, this is, this is kind of nuts. I mean, <laughs> to buy, four four dozen brand new traps and you almost paid the exact same in shipping i mean it was within thirty dollars difference between the product and the freight and i thought boy this is kind of stupid and i i kind of dug into a little bit and there's really not a whole lot of opportunity to purchase that kind of stuff um locally on our side of the world you know back east man there's trapping outfits and supplies and little little mom pop places everywhere but you know oregon washington idaho you know i would even say as far as colorado montana has a few um but nothing like minnesota trap lines or f and t or sterling fur or schmidt enterprises or you know all all the big guys they're they're all back east every single one of them are you know mm-hmm. midwest back east um so I thought, man, I, I wonder wonder what would happen if uh, a guy gave it a swing, basically. And uh, I we we kind of dove into it head first. My wife thought I was nuts. She still thinks I'm nuts at times for this little adventure I've embarked on. But uh, it it has picked up, and I've I've broadened my customer base. Um, 
I'm, I'm obviously not getting rich off the deal, but uh, it's it's fun. And to me, it's it's a need. You know, people on our side of the country need this stuff and want this stuff. And if I can be a little closer and reasonable cost and, you know, shipping, of course, is always the really tough one. Um, that's that's my dream is to be able to provide equipment that trappers need at a price they can mm. agree with and hopefully save some shipping and that's that's kind of our main goal um always has been and it's 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 been tough especially with you know the fuel prices going sky high and supply chains being short and uh trucking has been a nightmare because they're short-handed and freight hasn't been lost anywhere but it's been damaged several times and you know all the all the issues that come with that that situation um we've pretty much seen it all you know we started started a business the beginning of 20 or you know about midway through 2021 and uh we we survived the covid epidemic and you know five dollar fuel and uh just horrible price increases on stuff and we're we're constantly trying to get um more like the big guys but still not quite you know get that big just yet um it it takes a long time it's it's a slow process but we're we're slowly getting better um not always improving inventory Mm -hmm. i ask you know most all if not every customer is there something i don't have that you would like me to like like to see me carry and sometimes they're like, nah, you, you pretty well have what I want. Other times they got a list that's so long. It's like, holy smokes, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> they, they they want everything. And I get that because that's what they get from the, the, the big places. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there. It's, it's, it's a slow process. It's expensive, number one. Um, my, my store, if you will put that in quotes, is, is currently non-existent. I basically work out of my house. And I do a lot of, I try and do a lot of shows, which fuel has also been hard on that as well here lately. Um, but we're, we're slowly getting there and, you know, the website is in the process. I know there's been lots of people wanting a website done. Uh, that's a, as you well know, dealing with OTA's website, it's a, it's a time consuming, slow process to get anything done on there. And once you do, it's great, but it's, it's a, it it takes a while so that's kind of where we're at with the business part of it mm-hmm. and that's kind of how we started basically was because of ground squirrels and one tent hmm. so <laughs> it, that's a it's a it's a long story and I, I probably drug it on too much longer than i needed to but that's that's basically what made me decide to start a, a trap supply business was the the lack of opportunity on the, the west coast side of that kind of materials i mean yeah you can go to cabela's you can go to sportsman's warehouse you can go to north 40 all of those big outfits and buy some stuff but a their prices are really really high b they only have it for a short time of the year and they may not have what you want so that's kind of why kind of why we started well that that's really a good thing i remember way back when when i decided i wanted to you know start trapping i had a couple of old uh victor number threes that were given to me um, but i wanted to kind of you know have some diversity in in traps and i remember the first traps i ever bought that were brand new um, i bought them in fargo north dakota we were there for 
the National Wrestling Tournament, and we went into a Shields, which big sporting goods outdoor store, and they weren't unreasonable, but they were definitely marked up. Um, but they, but they had a small trapping section. It was like, you know what? I've been working all summer. I'm going to spend some money here and I'm actually going to buy this stuff. And my dad looked at me like, Oh yeah, get them. That'll be fun. But I'm telling you right now, you're probably not going to make any money. And I was like, Oh, you know what? I I really don't care. I want to do this. The whole family's always trapped. I, I want to trap. And so that's how I got started. I mean, I was in North Dakota for a different reason, but you know, went there and that's, that's where I got my first traps. And after that, it's like, yeah, you, you basically have to go to one of the big guys. Um, you know, most of the stuff came from F and T. Uh, I got a few things from Dakota line in the past. Uh, but a lot of it, you're just like, you, you might like, like you said, going to Cabela's or a hardware store and they carry one kind of brand of lure and a few different kinds of traps. And you're like, well, I really don't need this. And then, Lord forbid you have to go to Coastal and buy a 330 for some reason because those things are jacked up way too much. No, <laughs> I, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I joke about it with my wife. You know, we, we do a lot of, I wouldn't even call it price checking, but I just check, you know, those kind of places inventory and see what they carry and, you know, roughly what they're what they're selling stuff for. Um, I, you know, she she is a banker number one so she notices right away the difference in their price and my price she's like well how come you don't charge this like well because i want to sell 50 boxes i don't want to sell 50 traps i want to sell 50 boxes that's that's the other thing that's kind of been my business model is you know bulk discounts um i'm not saying i won't sell a single trap i'll sell whatever you want to whoever it is but the, the real answer is movement product because the more you can move, the more you can order at once, and that saves everybody money at the end of the day, including you and me and customer and truck outfits and the whole works. You know, if you start ordering by the pallet versus you know half pallets, quarter pallets, things like that, um, you you have some more room to work with, and to to see the difference at times, it's like holy smokes. I mean unbelievable the, the markup difference in those um, sporting goods or hardware stores or whatever you you want to say their their markup is tremendous mm-hmm. well and and in their defense they kind of have to do that because people don't always just go in and say oh yeah i want to buy a bunch of duke number ones today or some duke number threes or oh they got a they got an mb 550 or whatever you know they're they're not really going in in there looking for those kinds of items if you will and so go ahead uh, that's and and that you're exactly right that's that's why they are priced the way they are you know whether it's a a coastal or a cabela's or a bass pro shops or whatever it may be their their business is not selling traps per se Mm-hmm. that that's a, a small sideline that they've added to their product line because people do come in and well since i'm here i'll just buy a couple of these or whatever the case may be um so they they have to mark it up a little higher because they sit on it longer um there's less traffic looking for that most of the time you know it all goes back to the business model from day one 
they they have to make more and charge more because they generally sit on it longer because that's not their their meat and potatoes of their their business. So I, I understand why they do that. It's just that's quite a difference, <laughs> right? And it's it's pretty tough on the the consumer when we can go to somebody like you and you know if we were to buy let's say we were buying a bulk from or bulk amount of traps from you and to go to just your local outdoor store you're probably going to spend twice as much at minimum in the whole yep. grand scheme of things yeah I, I would say that's pretty close you know at least at least two-thirds if not twice as much you know as far as quantity and value and everything mm-hmm. so so that's kind of kind of the beginning and the end of why why we started that um the the squirrel thing and i i, I want to really hit on that because there's a lot of opportunities for that um, particularly in certain areas of whether it be washington oregon idaho um once again a farmer friend of mine that had noticed uh the, the previous um uh, co-worker that I did some trapping for, he kind of asked me, he's like, what are you doing in that field? And I told him, I said, oh, we're getting rid of ground squirrels, um, trapping them because we're not allowed to shoot here and so on and so forth. Said, oh, well, talk to me after this year and let's let's see if we can work something out of my place because I got a couple fields that are pretty bad. And I said, okay. So I talked to him and we went and looked it all over and kind of kind of made a game plan where we were going to start and where he wanted me to hit, you know, really hard and heavy to begin with. And uh, same thing, a hay field, both of them, all three of them actually, that had just been consumed by these these ground squirrels. We don't have, it's, it's similar to the squirrels that you talked about earlier, the sage rats or you know, just rats in general, mm-hmm. ground squirrels in our, our, my homeland. But over here, they're a Colombian ground squirrel. They're a little bit bigger mm-hmm. than our, our rats over there. They're not prairie dog big, but it's a, I, I call them a mini version of a prairie dog. You know, they have a, a little short, you know, I'd say two inch to three inch, kind of a fluffy, not quite squirrel tail fluffy, but, you know, kind of a fluffy tail. It's not nearly as rat tailed as our sage rats over there in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're the, the, the same, same problem, no matter what kind of ground squirrel it is, that really doesn't matter. But uh, they, they produce tremendous amounts of, offspring and they dig and they dig and they dig and they'll, they'll ruin a hay field in fact the guy that i trapped for this year is seriously thinking about tearing that field out even though it's not really time for it because of how badly it's been damaged um, and maybe some tillage would help get rid of them but i we did a pretty good job on them particularly in the one field i actually had a badger in there for a while and that's the reason i, I brought that up earlier too and I kind of left him alone. Um, and he, he kept asking me, he's like, oh, did you catch that badger yet? And I said, no, I, unless you're really worried about it. He's he's as hard on the squirrels as I am. So I'd, I'd like to leave him there, you know, for the, the rest of this year. And I'll, I'll get rid of him in the fall if you want, um, just so he doesn't keep digging all winter long. And uh, that's, that's kind of what we agreed on. And it, it's worked pretty well. I mean, I still got a lot of work to do in that particular area. but once again, that relationship between me and the landowner has now developed into other things. And I've explained traps to him and I've showed him a bunch of traps all the way from wolf traps, clear down to my my little squirrel traps. And, uh, it's, it's interesting to see the development from 
you know, he kind of kind of chuckled at me the first year when he said, oh, you're trapping ground squirrels. Oh, how's that going? You know, and I, I was up around the 200 mark or something in that field where we couldn't shoot. And uh, it's it's a noticeable difference this year. And I, I way past 200 at his place. We were we were just almost to 600. Um, and it, uh, it it went good. You know, that's that's a start. Um, I'm hoping next year we can kind of kind of put an end to that problem in that particular area but it's uh that's a the main reason i wanted to bring that up was he he paid me to do it he also with that has you know offered numerous uh opportunities to hunt and or trap some of his other land so not only did i get a check but i made a friend made an ally that's a farmer that agrees with everything that we do and now I have access to more private property to do more activities outdoors, whether it's fishing, hunting, trapping, um, just looking, you know, go for an evening drive or something. He's been been very good at that. And that's that's so huge. And I, I know we've kind of beat that already, but if, if we can continue to put that in trappers' minds that, hey, this could develop into so much more, uh, you know, you might be trapping squirrels this year and next year you catch you know, half dozen bobcats off of his place and he's happy and you're happy and you know the 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 cycle continues and you can keep going no absolutely that's again one of those great relationships it just keeps benefiting both of you and all of us in that matter yep and and he's a a, a rancher he's a rancher farmer all the above so you made you made friends with a farmer at first, but now it's like, hey, next year I want you to come out and work for coyotes over in this area, and I'm going to send you across the river over here because we got some wolves, or you know, it it just continues to keep going, and the opportunities get bigger and better, and that relationship builds stronger, and now now you have somebody that will stand in your corner when you say, hey, whether it's OTA or ITA or whatever trapping organization it is, you might be able to feel comfortable saying, Hey, would you make a donation to the Oregon Trappers Association? We're all unpaid. You know, this money specifically goes to the use of hunting, fishing, and trapping for the state of Oregon. There's no, no nonsense involved. There's no backdoor deals. Everybody's a volunteer. He might cut you a check for $500 to, promote the cause and mm-hmm. help pay for, you know, lawyer bills or whatever it may be. So that's, that's, that's important. No, absolutely. It's very, very important, especially in this day and age. Yes. So, <clears throat> so in your, in your business now, Mac, in the, in the store end of it, um, do you have any, any products that you make or sell personally that you'd like to, um, talk about um that that is in the works so uh making products uh has has turned into be you know it's a lot of work it is to produce any kind of volume you know you got to be able to put a fair amount of volume out i do eventually and i'm hoping later on this month the beginning of september i'm going to get some some bait made up I, i purchased a whole lot of beaver um, a while back and that's all froze down and needs to be processed but 
I'm going to stick to kind of a basic, real simple um, beaver-based bait to start with and kind of see how that goes. I, I haven't got into the lure making yet simply because of the time. Um, I just I don't have the time to do that currently. I, someday I hope to. But as far as, you know, my own personal products, they're, they're not yet available, but it's coming. Uh, my main my main game right now is the uh, the wolf trap. Of course, is kind of my bread and butter in this particular area, and I've, I've taken do some very simple modifications that people either don't have time to or don't want to or whatever it may be to a, a factory Duke 850, and it, it makes it a little more user friendly. Um, people people seem to be really happy with them. They've moved very well. And they've been very successful. Um, I know you guys aren't allowed to trap wolves yet. I hope someday we don't have to say that anymore. And I can start sending some stuff over there and we can get some, some wolf trapping going in Oregon. But that's a whole other conversation that'll take hours and hours of talking about. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, the minute that we get to start trapping wolves in Oregon, Mac, you're going to be my first call. <laughs> and, and I, I hope it's sooner than later, and I'm going to sideline it just a little bit, but that is something I've, I've tried to explain to, you know, different folks in Oregon from being over here is the fact that they, they haven't started even really considering it yet it makes me sad because I've talked to people that have lived over here for their entire life, and they've they've watched the evolution of it, you know, when they were first dropped here to... You know, populations getting established to now we have no limits because we're, you know, a thousand percent above our quota. Um, and catching a wolf isn't like catching ground squirrels or coyotes or anything else. It's it's a job and you're you're gonna get beat up and it's that's tough. I mean, I got some wolf trappers that put in some unbelievable hours and they may catch three, four, five, six a year. I mean, there's there's a select few that do pretty good, you know, ten plus. Um, but it's a, it's a whole different game and I hope Oregon gets, gets on board before it's too late, basically is what I, I, I hope to see. And we'll, we'll see how things progress later on in life. But, uh, right now for your guys' sake, the, the sooner, the better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Mac, you wanted to touch on kind of the fur market stuff and, uh, you know, using using the animal to your advantage and and with these lower fur prices and whatnot. Why don't we uh, go into that too? Okay, um, that's that's definitely something I you know that's the the kid in the corner that's in trouble that nobody wants to talk about. Here here it is the fur market. Um, we all know the fur market's down through economical issues. You know. Most all, if not 99% of our fur goes somewhere else, aside from the craft market um, within a few wool hangers and things like that. It all goes to a different country. Well, the world's kind of a mess at the moment, so that hence the, the crappy fur market. And I always try and encourage trappers to not focus on that so hard. And the simplest way to do that is if you can you know they're not all that way but most trappers either also whatever you want to say like to hunt trap fish run hounds you know all the above 
And when they say, oh, there's no money in trapping anymore, the fur market's garbage and fuel's high, and oh man, it's just terrible, and the whole world's coming to an end. And that's my first question. It's like, do you like to go hunting? Well, of course. Yeah, I love hunting. I said, how many times have you made money hunting? Mm-hmm. And they kind of stand there and look at you, and it's like, trapping is no different. I mean, there there is opportunities to make money. I'm not saying you can't make money. That's That's not at all what I want to say, but you can't always look at it as a, I need to, I need to catch 150 coyotes to pay for my fuel and the other 50 I'll put in my pocket and those six bobcats will buy my wife the flowers and so on and so forth. Um, it's, it's not all about the money at the end of the day, but if it is a, a necessity, which it is for most of us to, to at least get closer to breaking even, there's so many options out there that I think get overlooked. Um, the craft market, number one, is huge. You know, all those people are buying bones and doing different things with them. Ross Coles, um, for scraps, is, is pretty surprising where that stuff goes, whether it's your fly tying guys or somebody that makes a little keychain out of it or whatever. Um, the, the opportunities to maximize your income off of trapping are, are pretty much endless. You know, beaver is a huge one. Beaver beaver pelts have been worth little to nothing for a long time now. But if you take in the fact that the pelt's worth a little bit, you can get a little money out of a head, whether you do it yourself or send it somewhere to get boiled and bleached in the whole works. Um, I've seen earrings made out of the teeth. Um, you got Randy Shuff over here in Salmon, Idaho, that buys tails and makes leather wallets and little keychains and Leatherman cases and all that kind of stuff out of nothing but beaver tail. Um, then he also takes what's left from the tail and makes beaver tail oil or, you know, other bait products. Um, then you have the meat from the beaver, which you may be able to use to catch a bobcat. That's obviously worth a little more than a beaver, quite a bit more most of the time. Mm-hmm the 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 opportunities are are a lot um and you know i always stress on that when people are like oh i'm gonna sell all my gear the the fur market's garbage i'm not gonna buy anything from you next season i'm just not even gonna go and it's like i i I don't want to hear that it kind of kind of makes me sad really because the market is down we all know it's down and it, it may be a little while before it comes back up but there's there's other options to make you know, make the finances meet at the end of the day, whether it's, I don't care if it's coyotes, raccoons or skunks or any of that stuff. There's, there's people to buy glands. There's, you know, bait purposes for a lot of these animals. There's the hide, of course. Um, there's, there's, there's so much more you can do than just the fur. Um, I think a lot of us get hung up on the fact that the fur you know, to them is the big money thing. And it's, it's not at times, you know, there's so many other opportunities to make financial gains out of it in a different aspect, whether it's the craft market or bait or lure or caster or glands or, you know, feet. I mean, they, they, there's places that buy everything. So I, I think people need to broaden, broaden their horizons a little bit and, and, entertain those ideas to do other things with the rest of that animal no and absolutely and you think about how how uh how trappers in general can be tightwads you'd be thinking that 
they'd want to broaden their horizon and sell whatever they could. I mean, here's an example of one that gets overlooked quite a bit, and it's it's unfortunate because it it is a bit of a stinky job. But a skunk, skunks sell higher than raccoons when you when you do a good job and if you spend the time to to put them upright, maybe leave the feed in so you can do a, a whole body mount or something on it. And then on top of that, if you're willing to stick a needle into their glands and suck out that nice smelly stuff, you know, lure makers go nuts. They pay absurd amounts for it. You know, you put it in a, in a clear bottle, cork it, and then seal that sucker with wax when it's full. And, you know, they, they pay like eight to 16 bucks an ounce for that stuff. And you can get, you can get, you know, an ounce, ounce and a half out of a big skunk. And so you take a, you take a hide that you, you take the time to skin and you put up and you're going to get nine to 15 bucks out of that. Then you take and, and you sell an ounce, an ounce of their essence and, Boom, there you go. You got a $25 animal right there. Let alone if you want to boil out the skull or send it off to get cleaned and sell it or, you know, that kind of that kind of stuff. I mean, it you take one one animal that most people don't even want to deal with and you have the potential to make 40 bucks. Yep. And and that's, you know, I always I always use beaver as an example because there's there's a few more options with them, but the skunk is my number two because you're you're hundred percent correct. You have a hide, you have a head. You, I mean, whether you taxidermy skin it or just skin it to you know go to the fur market as one or the other, but uh, the the opportunities on a smaller animal to make more money than for say next year and even in the spring sales this year we all saw it. Um, a skunk sold better than a coyote did. Yep. There was beavers that were selling better than some of the best coyotes there was. I mean, I I heard of some numbers down at our our spring sale that were pretty sad on some really nice coyotes. There was one lot of a hundred, and they averaged seven bucks a piece. Well, yeah, you might get a a skull and some glands, and you know maybe the pads or something off a coyote for making bait and lure and other things. But at the end of the day, the skunk would have been a better option for you than having those coyotes. And I'm not saying everybody wants to or has the time or the ability to go catch a hundred skunks, but that that is an opportunity that that is overlooked. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can stomach it and do a nice job of putting some of those those smaller animals up, um, it's 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 worth your time. And you know, even muskrats, you know, yeah, they were down a little bit this year, but they'd come up from last year quite a bit. And a muskrat's one of the easiest things in the world to put up. And, and, you know, say you get, you have a top of the line muskrat that sells for roughly five bucks, you know, in a, in a good year, uh, maybe, maybe even a little more, but you can take that skull, you take the time to have it, have it cleaned up and you can sell it for nine, 10 bucks and people just go nuts for them because they're neat. There's something unique that people don't see all the time. Yeah, you know, uh, and and that's that's that craft market that I kind of hit on. Um, mm-hmm. there, I'm not not saying you have to do you don't even have to do it all yourself. There's people that will buy frozen skulls with good teeth. You know, that's always a big one that they have good teeth. 
um, buy them to where all you have to do is you skin that muskrat, you cut the head off and throws it down good. And that's a, you know, it's a quality specimen, whether it's size or good teeth or what have you. Mm-hmm. And now your, your $3 muskrat is now almost a $12 muskrat or even a $10 muskrat. Well, if you put up 25, 30 of those, tell you what, that'll put a little bit of gas in your pickup. I mean, you're not going to trap all season on it, but that's a, that's a huge, you know, opportunity that, that could have been taken. And, uh, it's, it's important to think about those, those other little critters, you know, even that's something I didn't mention earlier, the same location I first started trapping these ground squirrels at their, uh, their lagoon system had some muskrats move in and, uh, they of course wanted to get rid of them. So they didn't have any leak problems and so on and so forth. So I went in there and they paid me to remove muskrats out of these two lagoons which it you know wasn't all that pleasant of a job but you know i i made some money off of the deal and i got rid of their problem and i once again now i have a, a friendship relationship business relationship for for a lifetime if they ever have any more troubles down there i'll, I'll go down and take care of it and i make a little money and their problem goes away um that's that's important to to do that stuff well it's not it's not just the big ticket items you know everybody says oh bob they the the top bobcat sold for twelve hundred dollars at the last sale, so I'm I'm just going to go out to bobcats next year. Well, you're not always going to catch a twelve hundred dollar bobcat. You're going to catch a lot of two, three hundred, you know, even even less sometimes mm-hmm. bobcats before you ever catch that twelve hundred dollar bobcat. So to to think that that it's only one that's going to make it make it pay at the end of the season that's that's just not a good program. You want to broaden your horizons and spread out your your opportunities to increase your revenue no absolutely that that is a key importance to making it as a trapper in today's world in my opinion so mac uh before we we wrap this up uh why don't you tell us how do people get a hold of you where can they find what products you're selling um what is your uh, future website What's going to be the title of that? Okay. So for starters, um, most of my business, believe it or not, is done on this thing that's stuck to my ear right now. Um, <laughs> so, and I, I put, put my number out there with, you know, I get a lot of garbage calls from unhappy people and so on and so forth. And I deal with that and that doesn't bother me at all. But the, the best way to get a hold of me, is my my cell phone and that's 208-790-8546 and if i don't answer i promise i will get back to you um the other option of course is my business facebook page which is max traps and trapping supplies um and i also have a personal facebook that i will respond to that as well that's mac hankins um the website i can't give you the exact uh, domain for it just yet because they they won't finalize that until I'm just almost done with it. But I will update that as soon as I know. I will let you know, Oregon trappers. I will I will make sure that's widespread. Oregon, Idaho, Montana. Everybody will have the ability to get that information. Um, the website will be a very similar version of the the Duke website. Uh, I'm making it with Shopify. Um, it's very simple, very easy to navigate, you know, payments can be done on there orders, you know, there'll be stock, 
you know, what I have, when I can have it, you know, estimated ship times, shipping costs, all that stuff will be calculated in. It's a very user-friendly program, and that's what we wanted from day one was not a very complicated, you know, kind of get lost in that sort of website. So it'll, it'll be it'll be worth the wait. I know there's been a lot of people that have really been wanting the website for quite a while now. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a process. Like we said earlier, you know how it is dealing with OTA's website. There's, it's a lot of work and a lot of time and we're, we're getting closer. And as soon as that information is available, I will have it to you directly. Well, perfect, Mac. We'll, uh, as soon as this website's complete, since you're one of our sponsors, you're going to be on there and we'll, uh, we'll have that information available for the general public to, to view on our site and, We'll uh, make sure that it's well known. Perfect, and I I appreciate that. I really do. It's uh, I I have a I have a pretty big soft spot for my Oregon guys. You know, a lot of you I haven't met, including yourself. Um, but uh, I I try and try and do my best to help. You know, donate and keep things going and uh, make new friends and continue continue doing business over there so we can keep going. Well, we appreciate the help, Mac. We need all the help that we can get, and you've been great for supporting us. And uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and and all the help that you've done in the past for OTA. So, um, commend you greatly for that. Well, I I appreciate it, and it's it's worth every penny. And I will continue to support an organization that is uh, forward thinking motivated outfit that uh, plans on keeping you guys putting iron in the ground and snares in the fence. So you don't, don't have to worry about me leaving anytime soon. So we will, we will continue to support. Perfect. Well, everybody, if you like the show, I ask that you leave a good review on whatever platform you're listening to, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, or any of the other major sites. If you have questions or comments, you want to write into the show or potentially be on the show or have ideas for the show, uh, you can reach us here at Oregon Trapper Podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next week.